0: From the moment we receive Christ, we are now holy ones, set-apart ones, saints. The ministry to the church is not to some special class of people, but to those who are a family set-apart for God. Our job, then, is to commit ourselves to being together, intimately connected, devoted to one another, Feeling, expressing, acting on the love that flows from the kinship we have in Christ. What unites us in Him is bigger than anything that could divide us. Forget about your politics. Forget about your preferences. Throw all of those temporal, worldly things aside. What unites us is that which is eternal, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself who has given us life. Galatians 6.10 says that we should be doing good as often as we can as much as we can do all that we can to do good to others especially the household of faith the household of god there is a family unity be together secondly the church is god's home for the family the church is god's home for the family be shelter be shelter the church is god's family of saints we are together and unified in this kinship we have in Christ. We are set apart for Him. But as a family, we must recognize that we, not the building, but we, the family, are the home. Right? Home is where the heart is, home is where your family is. It's not necessarily a place, but a people. All of the things that we say on, in every Hallmark movie, I think. Right? But here in the church, Not here where I'm standing physically, but wherever you are as the church is the here. We, the body of Christ, are the home for his family. Our calling then is to be the safe place, to be the place of hope and help and encouragement. This is why we see the believers in Acts committed to taking care of the needs of one another. In fact, as it grew, we saw this in Acts chapter 6, as the church grew and there were more and more people that needed to be taken care of, the widows who had been put out of the synagogue because they followed Christ, no longer being taken care of by what amounts to the state, they've been cast aside. The church picks up that need so that nobody had need. This was the shelter. The family of God, the home for the family, became the shelter for all who had need within the family. James one twenty seven says that religion that God considers pure and faultless, is this. Care for the widow and orphan. Keep keep these things in mind. That love is not something we talk about, or we write poems about, or we have just some affection. Love is, beyond all of those things, an action. It's loving someone enough, caring enough, for your family to say, this is the place you are always welcome. The place you always belong. And when you've fallen, when you've embarrassed yourself with your foolishness, you can always come home. That's what God does with us. When he calls the prodigal back and kills the fatted calf so we can have a feast because the prodigal has returned. The message of the father is this will always be your home, your shelter. It doesn't mean that we tolerate foolish behavior. It doesn't mean that that which is cancerous doesn't get cut out. It doesn't mean any of those things. What it means is this place will always be where you can find safety and security for the family. Now, just like your family at home, you have guests. And a family that reflects Christ in their home will always take in those seeking shelter who don't belong to the family. But your first priority must always be to your own household. Paul writes that those who neglect to care for their own household are worse than unbelievers. So we must take care of the family first, the family of God. And to the extent that we are able, we want to go then beyond that, to do good to everyone, but especially the household of God. The church is God's home for the family. Our call then is to be shelter. Third, the church is God's embassy in a hostile kingdom. The church is God's embassy in a hostile kingdom. Be faithful. Be faithful. Turn, if you would, to Second Corinthians 5.20. It's to the right of Acts, and if you're still in, in uh, 1 Peter or James, then it's to the left of that. 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at verse 20 specifically, but I want you to see the context that it's in. I believe I said 1 Corinthians, and I did not mean to. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. My wife will let me know about that later, I'm sure. At least once I said second, so we got it covered in there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to focus in on verse 20, but I'm going to start with 11, and we'll skip around a little bit as we go through it. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. I hope it's plain to your conscience. Jump down to verse 16. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Last week's memory verse for those who were here. All this is from God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So what God has done for us, he has called us to do for others, to bring the message of reconciliation in Christ. Paul is going to develop this over and over again throughout his letters, but we see here in the next verse, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, as we look at this concept of being the Christian embassy in in the world, we are in a hostile kingdom. God is sovereign over all, but for this time, the devil has a vassal sovereignty under the sovereign king. He's in a rebel kingdom here, and God, in his own sovereignty, has decided to let Satan have his way for a while. He does his thing, but the Lord stands. The Lord is doing his work all the time, and as he is Working, He's working through us, his church. We are representatives of God's kingdom in this kingdom that is opposed to God. And as we represent him, we need to remember that the primary job of an embassy... I had to do some research on the, on the U.S. Embassy website to be able to figure this out. The main presence, the main purpose of the presence of an embassy is to care for the citizens of, not of the host kingdom, but of the sending kingdom. The embassy, for example, the U.S. embassy in a foreign land, is there to care for, to provide for the needs of U.S. citizens and travelers in that place. And in so doing, it represents our government in that foreign land. That's a pretty significant thing. So as God's ambassadors here, we need to be faithful. We need to be ever mindful that we represent Him. And we need to represent Him according to the teachings, according to the values, according to the heart and will of God as revealed in His Word. We don't get to choose what we want to do. We represent the Father in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 7, you don't have to turn there, but uh, as we are as we are looking at this, Paul writes to Timothy that a soldier doesn't get tangled in civilian affairs. He stays focused. An athlete training for the games stays focused. They're on a mission, and they have to follow that through. As ambassadors, we follow through faithfully with the mission we've been assigned. Next, we see that the church is God's light to a world in darkness. The church is God's light to a world in darkness. Be open. That's a weird thing to say about light. The church is God's light to a world in darkness. Be open. Now, in Isaiah 49.6, all of 49 in that passage there, but specifically in 49.6, in a a passage that is referring to the Messiah who will come, but speaking of the prophet Isaiah of the nation of uh, of Israel, Israel is called then to be a light to the nations. Uh, They still hang on to that as a motto, that Israel is a light to the nations. The people of God who were in rebellion against God, would be God's gift to the nations to present truth and light. In 49.6, he tells the prophet, it's too small of a thing for you to only impact my people. You're going to impact the world, the Gentiles, which is exactly what Jesus in his salvation of all of us would do. The message from Israel, from the church, is not only for Israel or for the church. It is the message of God to the world, and we represent Him. And as we represent Him, we carry His light forward. Turn to Matthew 5. We'll see our memory verse for today. We're going back to the left here. Matthew chapter 5. It's the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And after going through the the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, we get to this place in verse 13, we'll see this over the next couple of points here, where Jesus says to the gathered crowd, the believers who are there, he's not speaking to an individual, he's talking to Christians as a group, those who are following him, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The church is God's light to a world in darkness. Now, when I say be open, our call to be open is not to be open to let everything else in, but to let the light out. We don't want to have everything lit up in the church with the curtains drawn. We want to be able to let that light shine out to others. We don't have the light of Christ in us to hide it under a basket. We don't light a lamp just to to hide it away from the world. We use it. We display it. That it can, in the openness of this light, illuminate everything else. This is a dark world. This dark world needs the church to live as light. To display the light of Christ in us. Next, see this. The church is God's saving influence in the dying world. Just before this light, we just read in verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. There's a purpose in salt. We need to see in the church that the church is God's saving influence in a dying world. Be involved. Be involved. There was a book years ago by uh, Rebecca Manley Pippert. My sister was a big fan of this book. It was called Out of the Salt Shaker Into the World. You may notice this if you are at dinner and your food lacks seasoning and you ask someone to pass the salt and you take the salt from them and you say thank you and you set it down next to your plate. It does nothing to change the flavor of your food. This is an important aspect of salt, to add flavor. But it's got to get out of the salt shaker to do any good. If it's still sitting in the salt shaker, uninvolved with your food, it has no influence over it. That's significant. I love the message translation that Dr. Peterson Render said. It brings out the God colors and God flavors in the world. That's what we are here to do. And yet there's more. Salt, particularly at that time had a much more important function it cured food it killed infection and bacteria it was a saving preserving influence that kept you from food poisoning that's kind of important It's one thing for the church to add the God flavors to the world, and that's part of our call. But the more important aspect that we have as the church in the world is that we are God's saving influence in a world that is already dying and prone to death. In this hostile kingdom, death is the norm. The only life is Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Check this out. No one sees Christ except for through his body. We are given to the world to be ambassadors, to be light, to be salt. We need to be involved. Be involved in your school. Be involved in politics. Be involved in your community. Go out and vote. Raise your voice. But your purpose is not to get your way. Not to follow a particular political party, and I'm not bashing the existence of parties, but when our primary allegiance is to a political party or a particular human agenda, we've missed our purpose to be saving influencers in a dying world. It's not about having a better functioning world. It's about helping a dying planet become a living place, where we no longer are just all going out for our own interests, dying in our sin, but where the light of Christ has been brought and the life of Christ has been offered. That's what the church does when it is involved in the world around us. The church is God's saving influence in a dying world. Be involved. Next, see that The church is God's source of truth in a world of lies. The church is God's source of truth in a world of lies. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He said, I am the truth. There's a lot of emphasis in in the Bible about truth. All through the Old Testament, God is truth. We see truth as a very prominent theme. Throughout the New Testament, Christ is is the truth he is the light of life he is the truth of god and he is prominent in this truthfulness the bible christianity makes very clear truth claims the bible does not claim to be a truth the teachings of the apostles are not a truth they are the truth The single governing truth of the universe is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything else falls under that. When we see this role for the church that we are God's source of truth, not source in that we are generating the truth, but source like a fountain that has been filled by God and is overflowing with His truth. We are the source of truth, in a world of lies, be diligent. Be diligent. In fact, Acts seventeen eleven, Paul refer, or Luke refers to the uh, to the Berean believers, and they were more noble, more excellent than others. Why? Because before Paul ever brought the gospel, they were already diligent in the scriptures. They didn't accept the word just because Paul said it. They didn't hear the preacher when the preacher comes to town and say, wow, he's a really good speaker. We're going to jump into that. Boy, I really like that church, or I really like that podcast, or that that's a great book, or boy, that church puts out great worship music, so I'm just going to buy in. They were diligently hungry for the word, and so they checked everything Paul said against the scriptures. If we are God's source of truth in a world full of lies... We must be diligent. Turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to specifically look at verses 8 to 10. Paul says to the church, the saints at Ephesus, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Let me start this again here. We don't want to miss it. We've seen this light theme. We've seen it. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The first three chapters of Ephesians establishes who we are in Christ. It's because of who we are that he can speak about what we do. Because you are light, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. When we are living as children of light... We will display truth, verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. We must be diligent. We must be actively seeking truth through His Word. Turn a few pages back, uh, forward to uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'd encourage you to read the entire section here, but let's look specifically at verse 15. Paul writes to Timothy, Do your best... Well, that's a pretty good start right there. Do your best. Apply diligence. Work hard. Invest yourself. Spend yourself to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of what? Truth. Correctly handles the word of truth. If we are the source of truth in a world of lies, myriad competing truth claims, We better be prepared. We better be Berean. We need to be diligent. Lastly, we see that the church is God's model of love in a world of hate. The church is God's model of love in a world of hate. Be selfless. Be selfless. It doesn't take much for us to see that this world that we're in is hateful. Some will say it's more hateful, more divisive than it's ever been. Uh, don't buy it. But it sure is hateful. People can't just seem to have a discussion and disagree. We gotta hate each other. You can't just look at what the governor is doing and say, Well, I disagree. We gotta put her down. We gotta have these ad hominem attacks. We gotta go after people. We can't just believe a particular doctrine. We have to make fun of anybody who doesn't believe our doctrine. That's not love. Love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. That's the opposite of love. Not written down for you, but you're smart people. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the first eight verses. It's a picture of what love looks like in the church. It's a picture of Selflessness. Look at John 13. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Let's read 34 again here, because this is really important. The church is God's model of love in a world of hate. We're called to be selfless so much to say let's read the text a new command i give you love one another it's not saying i'm adding to the law i'm telling you love one another and the law will be kept as you express this love because love doesn't harm anybody else it doesn't take advantage of people it's what we see in this this selfless love of 1st corinthians 13 that puts the other person's needs ahead of my own so that I focus on your needs and my own character rather than the reverse where I focus on how you're failing to meet my needs and you need to fix your character so I can get my needs met. That's a bad formula. Selflessness is the way of Christ. 34, new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So so you must love one another. Verse 35. This is the impact the church has when we love one another. He says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When we love one another, the world outside of us will see Christ in us. God at work in the church is God at work in the world. They will see Jesus when they see Jesus in us. When the reality of Christ is reflected inside the church, it will radiate outside the church. When we love one another as Christ loved us, how is that? Romans 5.8 said God demonstrated his love for us in this. We were still sinners. While we were still antagonistic toward God, hostile toward God, enemies of God, separated from God, had no claim to any relationship with God, no right to approach Him, even to seek mercy. In that state, Christ died for us. How do we love one another? Like that. Selflessly. Laying our lives down for others. When we sum up this picture of the church, it comes down to reflecting the reality of Christ through the relationships God has given us. Specifically within His body, the church. When the reality of Christ is reflected inside the church, it will radiate outside the church. When we reflect the reality of Christ through the relationships God has given us, starting here, in the center, in the house of God, there is a ripple effect, and that love spreads out from us, it radiates out, and the light shining through us, when we don't block it with our selfishness, will catch the attention of the world. Not everyone will believe. We see that in Joppa. Many believed. not everybody. The masses saw the healing in Lydda, and they believed. Not everybody, but... The masses did. In Joppa, the same thing. People hear the story of this dead woman being raised to life and the power of Christ. How does this happen? It happened as Peter was ministering to the church, ministering to the saints. And in ministering to the saints and showing love within the church, reflecting the reality of Christ, the world around saw it. A house full of light shines out into the whole neighborhood. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. I want to encourage you, as we wrap this up, to recognize that when we do what we are called to do as the church, to love one another within the church, then the people who see us, who see true love demonstrated, won't want to be without the church. It's not about how right we can be. Beating people over the heads with Bibles. You can win every argument and lose the entire point. We should live, as, uh, as Peter wrote, such good lives before the pagan world that when they see us, They glorify Christ. They glorify the Lord. That's how our light should shine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we wrap up our time together and we sing a closing song, I pray that you would move in us that like a a light, a lamp on a stand, not hidden, but displayed, that Your light would shine from us, in us, through us, to one another in the church in such a way that those outside of the church will recognize the beauty of Christ displayed in us. And in seeing the way we love one another and the good actions that come from that, that they would bring all glory to Your name. Turn from their sins and find life. This we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.